thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul answers three questions the Corinthians had about different relational issues. Uh, The first question had to do with sexual relationships, and he deals with uh, people who are single and people who are married. Uh, The second thing that Paul answers are uh, questions to do with divorce and remarriage, and so he's focusing on people who are married or been divorced. And the third thing that Paul answers a question concerning is singleness. So he's focusing on not only unmarried people, but people who are widowed. They were once married and now are no longer. And also the parents of people who are at the age of being married and are single. Well, last week we looked at the first two questions that Paul answered having to do with the sexual relationships and divorce and remarriage. And so this morning we're going to be focusing on the answer that he gives here to this question about singleness. Now, the main question that the Corinthians were asking uh, concerning singleness was whether or not a single person should get married. That's kind of the, the focus of what Paul is going to be addressing. And so in the second half of chapter 7, uh, Paul focuses on single people and he wants to share some of the advantages and some of the blessings of being single. And and I think ultimately he wants single people to have a godly perspective on that state of life that they're in, but he also wants to give good information for them if they're going to be considering getting married and just kind of things that they need to understand in order to make that decision. And so in these verses, Paul is addressing three different groups. The first group he addresses are people who have never been married before. The second group that he's going to address are parents of people who are single, but that they're the age of getting married. And the third group he's going to address are widows, those who uh, were once married, but now because of their spouse's death, they are single again. Now, before Paul answers this question, um, the Corinthians had, he's going to share something that I think is very important about um singleness, and that's the mindset that we should have no matter what state of life we're in, whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we've been divorced, whether we've been remarried, whatever state of life you're in, Paul's going to start with a mindset that each one of us needs to have before he starts addressing uh, the specific question of singleness. And so we're going to start here uh, where we left off last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 17, looking at the mindset that Paul challenges us to have. He says this in verse 17, but as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain 
with God in the state in which he was called. Notice here, Paul starts off by saying, but as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. God has distributed different gifts. God has given different callings to each person. And remember last week, we looked at specific gifts that Paul was referencing was that God gives gifts to be single and gifts to be married. That's a gift of God to be in that state. But as God gives these different states, whatever state you're in, ultimately Paul says, so let him walk. What Paul means by that phrase, so let him walk, is so let him live for the Lord in that state that he's in. Paul goes on to say, was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Paul's bringing up this reality that the state's not what's important. If you were called by God, got saved when you were uncircumcised, you don't need to try to become circumcised. And if you were circumcised when you got saved, you don't need to try to become uncircumcised. The state you're in isn't what's important. What's important, Paul says, is keeping the commands of God. That's what the most vital thing is that Paul wants to address here. He goes on to say, were you called as a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. So Paul says, hey, if you were called while a slave, you know what? Don't be concerned about it. And here would be the mindset, you know, well, I'm just a slave. There's, I can't really live for God. You know, if I was just freed, then I could really live for God. If I had my freedom, then I, I'd really have all this ability to, to give God my complete life. And Paul's saying, you know what? That shouldn't be the mindset you have. If you're a slave, you can still live for God in that. Remember, in Christ, you're free. So live for him in that state of being free, uh, a slave. Now, he didn't say, you know, just stay there. He says, if you can become free, great, but make sure you use it to live for God. If you do get that opportunity to be free, make sure when your state changes from being a slave to a free man that you're using that for Jesus because realize you're a slave of Christ. He bought you at a price. The price was his life, the sacrifice of him on the cross for you. So whether you're a slave, whether you're free, doesn't really matter. What matters is living for Jesus in the state that you find yourself in. And that's why Paul says, brethren, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. That's the key here. You know, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're slave, whether you're free, whether you're circumcised, whether you're uncircumcised, it doesn't really matter. What matters is while you're in that state, are you living for God? Because you can say, oh, well, you know, I'm circumcised, so I'm better, but I'm not living for God. Well, then you missed the point. Or I'm married and I'm not single and I'm better. No, if you're not living for God, then Paul is saying you've missed it. You see, a lot of people have a mindset that I'll live for the Lord when my state changes. I say so many single people say, you know what? I just want to live for myself. I just kind of want to party, want to have fun. And then when I get married and when I have kids, you know, in the future, I'll start going to church. I'll start, you know, getting right with God. I'll start living for him. But, you know, that will be when my state changes. Then all of a sudden, my seriousness about living for God will change. Or some would say, you know what? Hey, God, when you get me out of this slavery... I'll live for you. When I'm no longer a slave and you make me a free man, I'd be happy to give my time to you. I'd be happy to give my life to you. But I'm not going to do it until you change the state that I'm in. 
when I no longer have to deal with these circumstances, when I no longer have to be in this circumstance or situation, then I'll live for you. You know, ultimately, when I get to where I want to be, God, then I'll live for you. Now, that is not the mindset God wants us to have concerning the different states of life that we encounter, that we're in. What he wants us to have is a mindset that says, whatever state I'm in right now, I'm going to live for Jesus. Regardless of what it is, whether it's single, whether it's married, whether it's circumcised, whether it's uncircumcised, whether it's slave, whether it's free, whatever it is, my heart is to live for Jesus in the state I'm in right now. You know, we need to beware of the danger of thinking other people have it better than us because they're in a different state than us. And if I was just in that state, oh, I could really make an impact for Jesus and I could really live for him. If he would just change the state I'm in, then I could live for him. And that's a completely unbiblical perspective of God wants us and has called us to live for him where we're at. Now, our states often do change through life, but in every state you're in, the same consistent thing should be there. I'm living for Jesus regardless of if I go from single to married, regardless if I go from slave to free, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to live for Jesus because that is what matters most. It's not what state of life you're in that matters most. What matters most is what are you doing in that state of life? Who cares if you're married and not living for Jesus? Who cares if you're single and you're not living for Jesus or circumcised or uncircumcised? The key is, am I living for Jesus in the state that I'm in? And I want to challenge you with this. If you won't live for Jesus in the state you're in right now, why do you think you're going to live for him when you change states? Oh, I'm not going to live for him now as single, but when I get married, I definitely will. No, you're not. Don't can deceive yourself. If you're not willing to live for him now, guess what? When you get married, it's not going to be easier to live for Jesus. It's going to be harder in many respects. So don't think, oh, well, if my state just changed, you know, if I went from slave to free or whatever it would be, then I'd do it. No, do it now, and you can be confident if you're doing it now, you'll continue to do it when the state changes in your life. So this is the mindset that Paul wants us to have, and I think it's very helpful now as we address the question that he answers and ultimately speaking about, should a single person stay single or should they get married? But ultimately within the answer, I want you to keep your heart and mind focused on the fact that really regardless of where you go, whether you stay single or whether you get married, the ultimate thing is, Am I serving Jesus in either state? Uh, that, that should be the biggest thing that we should be focused on, not so much which one's better, which one's worse, but regardless of which one I'm in or choose to go into, am I going to serve Jesus while in that state? So let's see what Paul here says and he answers this question to the Corinthians about singleness, starting in verse 25. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. Paul starts off by saying, now concerning virgins. Now technically he's not speaking only to virgins because uh, I'm sure there are people who were unmarried. That's the group that he's speaking to, to those who are unmarried. Because those who are widows or those who have been divorced would be in a different category because obviously they were married and therefore were no longer virgins. Uh, and so when he addresses virgins, he's speaking about those who have never been married before. But just like in our culture today, there are those who have never been married, who have had sex before marriage. We looked at last week, that's not what God wants, but that's the reality. But he's addressing people who have never been been married before. And then he goes on to say something very interesting. He says, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. 
We're going to see throughout this section something very interesting that Paul is making clear, and he, and he continues to reiterate, I'm not giving you something that is a command for single people that you have to do. What I'm giving you is godly advice from a man that God has found trustworthy, and I want to share that advice to you so that as you are making a decision as to whether to stay single or to get married, you have this information to base that decision on. What he's not doing is saying, this is a command, and every one of you has to do what I tell you to do, because regularly he's going to say, if you don't, you're not in sin. If you don't, it's okay. And and so he's not giving this specific command that says, hey, you have to do this, because he realizes it's going to differ from person to person in their situation, whether they're going to respond the way that he encourages them to respond. And he gives some parameters uh, to base that around. But, you know, he's giving this godly advice and his great principles uh, for anybody who is single. Now, Paul has already addressed two questions in this chapter, uh, but they're a little bit different. He dealt with sexual immorality, he dealt with divorce and remarriage, and with both of those relationships, Paul gives a command that God expects us to obey, but I want you to recognize those were black and white issues. Should you have sex before marriage? No. Should you get divorced? Is that what God wants? No, except for the specific reasons that we looked at last week that God gives you a way out. So it was very clear, black and white. This one's not. This one is not this black and white issue uh, where everyone must do this certain thing who's single. Uh, And so I want you to understand that his goal is not to give a command, but to give good godly counsel for those in the circumstances that they were facing uh, and what he recommends that they would do. So let's look at what Paul says. Verse 26. I suppose, therefore, that it is good for the pre- of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Paul says something here that we need to clarify, because what he says here is, is what he's basing a lot of this uh, counsel, this uh, wisdom on, and that's this. Because of the present distress. It's good. Why? Because of the present distress distress. So what is the present distress that Paul is talking about? Well, first of all, we know it's obviously something that's not good. Uh, The word distress here, the Greek word translated distress, means calamity, persecution, danger, or great distress. Most commentators agree that that Paul is referring to the persecution that the Corinthians were under during that time for being believers in Jesus Christ. And so, you know, there was a lot of persecution coming their way. There was this distress uh, that they were facing. So in light of that, many were being imprisoned, many were being beaten, many being tortured uh, for their faith in Jesus. So something we need to understand is that the advice that Paul gives here is based on this Present distress the Corinthians found them in, themselves in, that they're, they're being persecuted, you know, they're being tortured for some of them, they're being imprisoned. Because of the circumstances, because this is going on, this is something that Paul shares advice on based on that. But there's also another thing that Paul bases his advice on, and that's the fact that their time was short. In verse 29 he says, but this I say, brethren, the time is short. Now, Paul is referring to one or two things when he says the time is short. He's either referring to the fact that Jesus is coming back. And because of Jesus' return, the time is short. Or he's just being really practical in the sense of because of the persecution, because many of you are being killed for your faith, the time's short. We don't know how much more time we have left to do the things that God has called us to do. But with either explanation, the bottom line is Paul is addressing this reality that the time you have 
is short. It's running out and it should impact the way in which you live. So notice here, there are two things that Paul is basing his advice on singleness on. First, your present distress. The reality that you're going through persecution, through torture, through imprisonment. That's one thing that is, you know, causing him to share some of the things he shares. And the other is the fact, time's short. You don't know how much time you have left. Either Jesus' return is coming or your death is nearing. But either way, he bases what he's going to share on those two factors. Now, there are a lot of Christians in our world today who are suffering great persecution just like those in Corinth were, and so they could relate a lot more to the reality of what he's going to share in some of this because they're being tortured, they're being imprisoned, they're going through these things right now in the world today. Now, for us in America, we don't have that same kind of persecution in comparison in any way, shape, or form, and so some of the stuff that Paul shares here isn't going to be as pertinent to you single people as a reason to stay single because he's basing it on the present distress that is happening. But the second thing that he focuses on, the time is short, we all are in that category. Uh, if it's coming to the reality that we're living in the last days, which I'm definitely convinced of, that the Lord could come back at any moment, uh, but also just the fact that we don't know how much more time we have in this life, and for either of those reasons, we should decide to live our lives for the Lord because of it. So let's see what Paul has to say keeping in mind these two things of why he's writing this, verse 26 and 27. I suppose, therefore, that it is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loose from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Paul's first bit of advice is directly connected to the present distress that they were facing, and that advice is, it's good for a man to remain as he is. So he says, if you're married, stay married. Don't try to get unmarried. If you're single, stay single. Don't try to get married. That's his practical advice. Now, what are some of the advantages of staying single in the midst of distress, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of, you know, torture and imprisonment? Well, there's a very practical advantage to being single. You know, if you're going through horrible persecution, you know, imagine how much more difficult that becomes if you have a spouse and if you have children. You see, I wouldn't have as much of a problem if someone said, you know what, I'm going to torture you or I'm going to imprison you unless you, you know, renounce Christ. Well, then torture me, imprison me. But you know what? If they were to bring my kids in front of me and say, I'm going to torture your kids or I'm going to rape your wife or I'm going to do something to them, all of a sudden that becomes much more difficult than just you personally suffering. To watch your kids suffer, to watch your family suffer is something that's more difficult. And so Paul's bringing up a practical reality. Hey, you know what? In times of persecution, when the suffering and the torture and the imprisonment's coming, it's easier to be single in that regard because you're not having to watch your family suffer immensely as well. Well, what's the advantage of remaining married at the time of persecution? Because notice he says, let a person stay in the state they're in. If you're single, stay single. If you're married, stay married. Well, if you're already married and you already have kids, it's in the time of persecution that your family needs you the most. You know, so you should never, you know, uh, get away from them or abandon them. I mean, there's never a reason to, you know, do that. You should never want to abandon your family. But obviously, in the midst of persecution, they need you all the more. So Paul's saying, hey, stay If you already have that relationship, and if you don't, he encourages you, don't try to get into it because it's going to bring more difficulty. But he clarifies something in verse 
28, notice what he says. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. Notice Paul's not saying, if you choose to get married, if you choose not to take my advice here, oh, well, you're in sin. No, he says, if you choose to get married, that's fine. You can make that choice. If you're, you know, want to get married, if you want to go from the single state to the married state, there, there's nothing wrong with that. But I just want you to understand, I want to spare you from the trouble because you're going to have more trouble in your flesh because of the persecution that's coming. And so he's just wanting to give that information. You can make the choice to do it, but understand you're making a choice not only to get married, but to make it harder for you in this time of persecution because of what's going to come. So basically Paul is saying it's easier in this persecution to stay single. And so I recommend you do. But you can get married. Just realize if you make the choice, you're going to be adding trouble in the flesh. Now remember, see, Paul's not commanding us to do these things. He's just saying, let me give you some wisdom on this topic. You can make a choice, but I want you to make a choice based on this good godly information that I'm giving you. So if you're single in the midst of persecution, you're thinking about whether or not to get married, you can either choose to take Paul's suggestion and say, because of the persecution, I'm going to choose not to. Or you can say, you know what, Paul, I'm willing to accept the persecution. I want to get married. Either choice is fine. There's nothing sinful. There's nothing ungodly. He just wants to make sure that each person understands the choice that they're making. But the key with all of this is, hey, make sure you're living for Jesus in either one. You know, if you stay single, fine, live for Jesus. If you, if you get married, fine, just make sure you're living for Jesus. Now, Paul's basing everything here on the fact that they're going through persecution. So if you're not going through persecution, uh, and you know, you want to be married, then this is nearly not as pertinent to you. And, you know, for those of you single here in America, we don't have the same kind of persecution. So the, the challenge of staying single because of this specific reason, you know, isn't as pertinent to you uh, today. But the next thing that he is going to share is very pertinent to all of us because now he's going to focus on the second reason for why he's encouraging singleness. And that's because of the fact that the time is short. We don't know how much time we have left, and so we want to make sure we use it to serve Jesus. Verses 29 through 31 says this, But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on even those who have wives should be as those that they have none, those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. Because the time that we have left here is short, Paul wants us to make the most of our time. This is a point that the Bible brings up over and over. We need to make the most of the time we have in this life, whether it's because we're focusing on the return of Jesus or just the reality of we just don't know how much time we have left. You know, we could go get in a car accident and be dead tomorrow. We, we don't know. We don't have tomorrow promised to us. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 tells us, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. What? Redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Walk to serve the Lord, to live for Jesus. Why? Because we, the days are evil. We need to redeem the time that we have. And so what Paul is sharing uh, is the same here as what Ephesians is sharing is the time is short, so redeem it. Redeem it by living for Jesus in whatever state you find yourself in. 
And with that in mind, Paul shares with us four things that often distract us from living for the Lord. Those four things that Paul shares in these verses are family, emotions, possessions, and the world. Family, emotions, possessions, and the world. Paul says, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Now, don't miss what Paul is saying here. He's not encouraging neglect of your spouse or neglect of your family. He wants to make sure you have a proper perspective because for some people, family's all that matters. That's all they're living for. And they've missed the reality that there's something that's even more important than family, and that is God living for him, serving him. You see, you can love your family. You can take care of your family. You can invest in your family and live for Jesus and make Jesus the priority of your life as well. And that's what Paul wants us to have is, you know, don't put family in front of Jesus. Jesus warns about that. And never put anything in front of him. He wants to be the number one priority. And actually, if you really love your family, you'll do that because it'll make you a better husband, a better wife, a better father, a better mother. When Jesus is the priority, it impacts every other relationship that we have. And so one of the things that can distract us from completely living for Jesus is our family. Another thing is our emotions. Notice what Paul says. Those who weep as though they did not weep, And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Don't let the emotions of bad times get in the way of living for Jesus. I'm sure all of us are guilty of this. I know I am. You go through some persecution. You go through some hardship, which is what they were dealing with. And you get so focused on the the problems and the difficulties that, you know, you're just consumed with that. And you stop living for Jesus. You're weeping. You're sad. Why is this happening to me? I'm so, you know, distraught over it. And we lose sight of the fact that even though we're in persecution, even though we're in difficulty, God still wants us to live for him. And sometimes it can be a distraction. But you know what? The opposite can also be true. Don't let the emotions of good times get in the way of living for Jesus. That sometimes can be an easier thing. Man, things are so going so great. I'm rejoicing. My life is just going great. My job's going great. My family's going great. You know, it's so wonderful. And we kind of just take a back seat to our relationship with Jesus. And we kind of just cruise through life. And it's like, oh, I'm loving everything. I'm enjoying everything. It's so wonderful. But I'm not serving Jesus. I'm not focused on that. I'm not focused on living for him. And so that can also be something that distracts us from living for Jesus. So family and emotions can keep us from living for Jesus. But so can possessions. That's why Paul says, those who buy as though they did not possess. You know, in our world today, maybe more than any other generation, we are bombarded with so much that says, buy, 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 get this, get that, you need this, you need that. You know, this one's out of date, even though it's three months old, but it's okay. Get the next newest thing. And sometimes we get so consumed with all the possessions that are being thrown our way that we just start living for that. I work for those. I want those. I'll do whatever I can get for those. And that can be a big distraction for living for Jesus. Because we get, I, I'm just living ultimately to get the next thing that's on the market that I can, you know, have this new toy to, you know, play with and entertain myself with. So family, emotions, possessions can keep us from living for Jesus. But probably the biggest one that Paul gives us is the world. That's why he says, and those who use this world is not misusing it for the form of this world is passing away. You know, what Paul says here, I think, is such an important thing for us to have when we look at the world, the perspective of the world, it's passing away. All that it offers, all that it thinks, you know, oh, this is so great, you can have it. You know what? It's going to end. It's going to pass away. You're not going to take it with you. Jesus, when he challenges us, he says, you know what? Don't store up treasures on earth 
Why? Ultimately, they're temporary. Moths eat them. Rust destroys them. People steal them. They're temporary. You know, if you're going to store up a treasure, store it in heaven. Why? Because it's eternal. Nothing's going to take it from you. Nothing's going to destroy it. But too often, we get so focused on living for what the world presents as, oh, you should live for this, that we missed what's so much more valuable, and that's living for Jesus. Now, with the importance of living for Jesus, we need to keep that mindset as we come to what Paul shares with us of an important difference between those who are single and those who are married. Notice what he says in verses 32 to 35. But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I might put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. So notice, Paul gives this list of different distractions that can keep us from serving the Lord. And now he shares a practical reality, a difference between those who are single and those who are married. And notice what he says, for those who are single, he says, he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. And the unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. Paul wants us to understand, single people, guess what you don't have in your life? You don't have a spouse, you don't have kids. And because of that, you're more free. You're free to totally devote your time to the Lord because you're not devoting your time to a spouse or to children. But on the other hand, someone who's married, they need to take care uh, of their husband, of their wife, of their kids. And now notice, don't miss what Paul's saying here, as we've noticed with a lot of things. He's answering specific questions, and he's not saying it's bad to take care of your spouse. Actually, he's saying this is what is expected of you. That's why he's saying this is what you should do. If you're a man who has a wife, then you should be taking care of her needs. You should be concerned about that because you're called to do that in the Lord, to love her as life Christ loved the church. If you're a wife, then you should be taking care of the needs of your husband. You should be focused on that because that's something that you've been called to do. So Paul's not saying the fact that a married person must care for their spouse is a bad thing. He's just making a truthful statement. If you get married, that's a responsibility that God now gives to you. If you stay single, you don't have that. He's just giving a practical reality that he wants people to understand. That responsibility when you're single to take care of a spouse or to take care of kids is not there. Now, here's a practical point that Paul is making. When you're single, you only have to take care of yourself. And here's why it's important. Because then you can devote your time and your effort to serving Jesus without any other distraction. That, that's kind of his heart here of, hey, the reason I'm saying this is because if you're single, then you don't have to care for your husband or wife and kids. You have time now to just devote completely to serving Jesus. But here's the key. That time and that availability is only useful to you if you use it to serve Jesus. There are many married people who serve Jesus way more than single people, even though the married people have less time because they have more commitments. They have to take care of their wife or husband and kids, but they still serve Jesus more than single people. Why? Because single people with more time are wasting lots of it. And so the challenge here is not just, oh, wow, you have more time, you have more availability. The thing is, because you have more time and more availability, use it to serve 
Jesus with. Don't waste it. You know, I was single for 27 years. I got married at 27. And until I turned 17, I wasted most of my single years. Living for me, living for my pleasures. It was at 17 that I really got serious with God, wanted to live for God, gave my life to Him and told Him, you know, whatever you want, that's what I want to do. So just lead me, guide me. And I'm very grateful for the 10 years from 17 to 27 that I had as a single man because I feel like, you know what, for the most part, I didn't waste that time. For the most part, I was very diligent to give that time to the Lord. I was in school of evangelism when I turned 17, or a little after, I was still 17. I went to Bible college. I interned at a Bible college for two years, you know, uh, doing different things. I ultimately started a church uh, in Scotland. And I just stayed focused on growing in the Lord and, and serving in the Lord. And, and I used that extra time that I had because I was single to invest in my relationship with Jesus and to invest in serving Jesus. And a lot of the things that I did for the Lord when I was single, you know, it would have been very difficult to do as a married guy, especially married with kids. You know, I led outreaches all over Europe. We slept on floors. We ate things that I don't recommend. But, you know, there's just certain things that you do, and I just didn't care. You know, I was single, man. I can go sleep on any floor you want. But, you know, now if I'm taking Scarlet and Eden with me or, or other things, there's just a reality that there's certain things as a single person that's easier to endure than when you have a wife and kids. And there's just certain things I wouldn't have been able to do at all with a family. Well, I want you to consider Paul. You know, we think of Paul and what great impact. We looked at the book of Acts. We saw his three missionary journeys. Imagine if he had a wife and kids going with him. I mean, how much would he have been able to accomplish on those journeys if he was bringing a wife and kid with him? All the imprisonments, all the torture, all the difficulty, it would have been a lot harder. And I think that's why when Paul is writing this, he's talking about, I understand from a man who is now single, the benefits of staying single in the midst of persecution. Because if anyone knew what persecution was like, it was Paul. And so, you know, because of his singleness, there was a lot of things that he was able to do in that singleness that he probably wouldn't have been able to do if he was married with kids. I think an important thing for single people to understand is, you know, don't fear your singleness is a bad thing. Don't view that state as something that is, oh, I just want to get out of it so fast because marriage is the, the, that's the only state to really be in and we're just in this for as short a time as possible. Don't see singleness as a bad state. See it as an opportunity. It's an opportunity to grow in your relationship with God. It's an opportunity to serve Him more. And understand this, once you get married, you're never going to have that time back that you had. It's going to change. There's a lot of blessings to marriage. There's a lot of wonderful things with that. But but just understand, once you make that choice and more move forward with that, and especially then if you have kids, life changes. Time, accessibility, different things that you have now, you're not going to have them. So my encouragement is don't waste the time you've been blessed with as a single person. Also, don't get distracted. Paul's been talking about different distractions that get in the way of living for Jesus. I think one of the biggest distractions for single people is the distraction of constantly looking for a potential spouse. Be careful about that. Instead of saying, you know, I'm just looking for a relationship of someone I can marry, be more focused on I want to deepen the relationship I have with Jesus and to focus on that and not so much on the relationship of a possible spouse. You know, right before I went to Bible college, I heard that many people refer to it as bridal college because so many of the students came there for that purpose. They wanted to get married, especially a lot of the girls. And so, you know, I came with this mindset of, you know what, 
I've heard too many stories about people wasting years because they're so focused on finding a spouse that oftentimes never worked out for them, and they missed all those days that they could have been deepening their relationship with Jesus, growing in him, studying things. And so I said, Lord, I don't want to be one of those people. And so I just made a commitment to the Lord. It wasn't something I was forced to do, but I felt like, you know what, in my time here, I'm not going to be pursuing any type of relationship with the opposite sex for marriage because I just want to focus on my relationship with the Lord. And the Lord, he blessed that. I, I grew immensely uh, during that time. Uh, and then I went to Austria to do an internship for two years at the Bible college over there. And I kept that same heart. Lord, I'm still here to grow in you. I'm still here for a relationship with you. And so I don't want to get distracted by, you know, pursuits of, you know, romance and other things. And, you know, and I had teachers saying, you know what, you're missing out on the cream of the crop here. Just pick one of these girls, get married. And, you know, that was kind of the advice that they were giving us. But that's not why I'm here. I'm here ultimately because I want to grow in Jesus uh, and keep my focus on him. And so when I was finished with that uh, internship, I went to Scotland. I started a church there, and I just said, Lord, I'm still committed to you. I'm committed to serving you. I'm committed to, you know, growing in my relationship with you. And I trust, as I pursue you, that you will bring a godly woman who also is pursuing you in my past so that we both can continue to serve together. And God brought me the most amazing woman in Jenny. Uh, and you know what? It's interesting. She wasn't searching for a spouse. She was living for Christ. You know, she was serving, using her singleness uh, to serve the Lord. She was uh, desiring to be you know, full-time in missions, but she did a lot of short-term missions. She was, you know, doing ministry constantly. And as we both were pursuing the same thing, we just want to live for Jesus and we want to, you know, give him our lives. God just brought us together. Uh, and that we're able to do that uh, together. But, you know, for those who are single, I would just encourage you to just live, focus on your relationship with Jesus, live for him. And as you're pursuing him, look for others that are also pursuing him in that same way and don't get distracted uh, by anything else. So uh, are a lot of distractions that keep us from spending time investing in our relationship with Jesus. And we just got to be careful not to do that. Take advantage of the time you have right now as single people because it's short. We don't know how much time we have left, so invest it in the Lord. Paul encourages single people to stay single so that you can have more time to serve the Lord. But notice he clarifies something in verse 35. And this I say for your own profit, not that I might put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. Notice what Paul clarifies here. You know, I'm not trying to put a leash on you. I'm not saying this, that so if you're single, you, you have to get married or you feel this, you know, I mean, you have to stay single and you, you can't get married. Paul's saying that that's not my desire here. I just want to share this information. If you choose to get married, that's perfectly fine. Just understand, you know, what I'm sharing with you. But, you know, this wasn't meant to be something that would put a leash and, and hinder people from doing what they felt, you know, God was leading them to do. And I bring that up because sadly in the church world, they've missed that. There are a lot of, you know, different denominations who have taken specifically what Paul says here uh, and. And they, they missed the whole point that it was not to be uh, a lease. The Roman Catholics have uh, insisted on celibacy for all of their clergy, even though many of them are not called to that. And we've seen the problems that have come because of it. We shouldn't have required that of them. Paul wouldn't want that. He didn't say, oh, this is this has now become a leash that they didn't want. There are many Protestant churches who really want nothing to do with ordaining people who are single. And it's kind of like, oh, you've got to be married. That's the only way that God can really use you. And so both have kind of used the, the leash that Paul said, I don't want it to be there. I'm just giving you godly wisdom to take here. But don't let it be something that, you know, you use improperly. And unfortunately, that has happened a bit through church history. So 
Remember, once again, this isn't a command. Paul isn't commanding you to be single. He's just giving some important information to single people so they can understand the blessings of being this single and also better make decisions based on the persecution they were facing and the time being short as to whether or not marriage was something that they should choose to do. So if you're single... Perfectly fine to stay that way. Perfectly fine to get married. There's a lot of blessings being single. There's a lot of blessings being married. But the choice is yours. Now, what Paul has just shared about being single would have an impact on a non-single group, especially in that culture. And that is parents of single kids at the age of marriage. Not so much parents today. We still have influence, but not as much then because back then, the people who arranged marriages were the parents. The kids didn't get to choose who they married, and they didn't get to choose when they got married. That was all the choice of parents. I see some parents happy, like, we should bring that back. But um, <laughs> that's, the, that's the culture and the way it was. And so in light of what Paul has just shared about singleness, now he needs to address a group of people that definitely has control over whether or not single people can get married or have to stay single. And so he wants to share a few insights to these parents. Notice what he says here in verse 36 through 38. But if any man thinks he is behaving improperly towards his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has his power over his own will, and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better." So in that culture, it was really the father's responsibility to find a spouse for either his daughter or for his uh, son, and he would go to another father, and they would discuss that, and they would get a dowry, and they get all this stuff together, and then they'd make a decision, and boom, those two were going to get married, and those two didn't have any choice in the matter. The parent was the one who did it. And so um, Paul comes and shares things with fathers who have children who are single, and they're at the age of marriage, and he starts off by saying, if anyone thinks he is behaving improperly towards his virgin. Now, I want you to note something here. I remember when I used to read this before, I missed who actually Paul was referring to. The man he's referring to is the father of a young woman or a son who is at the age of Mary, because notice he says his virgin. Speaking of like his child, you know, it's yours. Uh, they're a virgin, as in they're unmarried. Uh, so he's speaking to a father who's now going to be uh giving away his child, we recognize at the very end, verse 38, so he who gives her in marriage, speaking obviously of the father, does well, but he who does not, does better. So he's focusing on a father here, and the if you're behaving improperly, it isn't speaking about some improper moral behavior, it's this, I feel like I'm um, denying my daughter or son the right to be married because I feel like singleness is now better. So if you feel like, you know what, uh, I'm keeping them from something they want to do, I'm keeping them from something that they want to pursue, then he's saying, it's okay, let them get married. You know, you're not in sin by, you know, holding, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to allow them to do that because what he just shared about singleness, you know, there'll be parents thinking, <laughs> you're never getting married. You know, you guys might just forget it. I know we arrange you and so and so, but that's not going to happen because, you know, look at what Paul just said. I totally agree because of the present circumstances of distress and all the, the short time we have, you guys are single for life and I don't care if you like it or not. But, you know, so he's saying, hey, you know what, as a parent, it's okay to allow them to pursue this and to move forward with this if you found a person for your son or daughter who wants to get married now that your son or daughter is of marrying age then let them you don't need to keep them single even though it has some advantages 
On the other hand, if a person who you found for your son or daughter, they want to stay single for more time, don't force them to get married. Because once again, there's benefits to staying in that state of singleness. So he's kind of just trying to encourage parents to, to see what he's talking about and, you know, not get too extreme here. So Paul says, he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. I want you to notice something about Paul here as he's talking about singleness or marriage. It's not a choice between good and bad. For him, it's a choice between what is better and what, it, or what is um, better and best. You know, and so it's not, well, you know, it's good to be single, bad to be married. No, he feels like it's best because of these circumstances to be single. Um, but, you know, you can, it's also a good thing, you know, to be married. He's not, you know, looking down on marriage in this. And he wants the father to know if you allow your daughter to marry, it's fine. Uh, you don't have to worry about that. You're not in sin. So now Paul is going to conclude addressing a group that they were once married, but now because of the death of their spouse, they're no longer married, which are people who are widows. And he'll finish with this. It says this. Verse 39, a wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she's at liberty to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I think I also have the spirit of God. Paul reminds us a wife is bound to her husband as long as she's alive. That's why when you do wedding vows, you say, till death do us part. That, that's the mindset of we're going to stay together until death separates us. But death does separate almost every married couple. I don't know of too many who die the same night uh, in their bed. So you know, for most every married couple, one's going to die before the other. And so you're going to be a widow for some point in time. And if you are a widow, Paul's saying it's perfectly fine if you want to get married again. You're free to do that. You're at liberty to do that as long as the person's in the Lord, meaning they got to be a believer. You're free to marry, but you're not free to marry an unbeliever. As long as they're a believer and you want to marry again, that's what your heart desire is. Go for it. But once again, just like with the singles, he says, you know what? I think you'll be remain happier if you stay as you are. Just stay as a single widow. Don't seek to get married again. That's my judgment. I just share that with you. That's my two cents. I think, you know, because of the present distress and because of the time being short, I think you'd be better off if you just stay single and use your time to devote to growing in the Lord and serving the Lord and just stay in that state that you're in. But once again, if you choose to get married, uh, you're perfectly fine in doing that. So in answering the question that the Corinthians had about single people getting married, Paul wants single people to understand before you make the decision to get married, make sure you're clear on a few important truths. First, because of persecution, um, if you get married, there's going to be more trouble in your life because there's going to be more people you're going to have to be worried about and, and watch suffer and, and deal with these things. And so, you know, keep that in mind. And second, because the time is short, we should be living for God. And you know what? You have more time. You have less cares. You can devote more of your efforts to the Lord. And so I would encourage you to do that. But it's up to you. It's okay if you get married. It's okay if you make that choice. You're not bound by that. You don't have to stay single. These are just what Paul wants to encourage you with. Uh, and regardless of what state you're in, the most important thing to remember is, are you living for Jesus? If you're single, are you living for him? If you're married, for all of you married here, are you living for Christ? So that, that should be really in any state that we're in, you know, are we living for Jesus is what he wants the most from us. And that should be what's most important to us. 
Well, last week we closed with taking some time to pray for married people as we recognize the difficulty of marriage. Uh, and this morning I want to take some time to pray for those who are single in our church uh, as we've been challenged with singleness. And so uh, I'm just going to leave it open for anyone uh, who would like to pray, and I'm going to close this. And, you know, oftentimes I listen to married people, and they basically have one prayer for single people. Lord, bring them a spouse. Um, you know, that's not necessarily a bad prayer, but I think it just makes the single people think the wrong thing as well. Well, the only thing that's really good is to get out of this state of being single and to get married, and they just want me married so bad. And it's great to pray, Lord, bring a, a godly person to my, you know, son or daughter or whatever. I and mean, it's not a bad prayer, but I would say let's include in that as well, Lord, help them to devote their singleness for as long as they have it to you, to growing in a relationship with you, to serving you, and not just, well, Lord, get them out of that single state as fast as possible and get them to a married state and, you know, we'll be so pleased. But, um, you know, that state for most of them is probably going to come. But while they're single, let's pray that the Lord would bless their singleness and use them in that. And so if you want to pray, I encourage you to do that. Uh, and I will close us in prayer.